I kind of love uh, recording in strange places. So this is, <laughs> so even though this is not <laughs> ideal and, and Angie is a real trooper here, um, I, I appreciate it. Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Travis Yonker. Sometimes things don't go as planned. Interviews, for example. Back in June, I interviewed Angie Thomas at the ALA conference in Chicago. Angie's the author of one of the most stunning and timely YA books of 2017, The Hate You Give. If you haven't read it, you should. The plan was to do the interview in a conference room, but because of noise, we ended up plopping down on a couch, right in the convention center hallway. Aside from the occasional vacuum cleaner, an odd glance from passersby as we sat there with our microphones, we had a great conversation. In this episode, Angie talks about soap opera fan fiction, the importance of sensitivity readers, and what it feels like to find yourself at the very top of the New York Times bestseller list. It's time to unravel the hate you give. is about 16 year old star who lives in two different worlds the mostly black poor neighborhood where she lives and the mostly white upper class private school that she attends and the struggle of being two different people in two different worlds becomes even harder after she witnesses the murder of her childhood best friend Khalil at the hands of a cop got the idea for The Hate You Give when I was a senior in college. Um, I was a lot like Star. I was in two different worlds, my mostly black poor neighborhood and my mostly white upper class private school in Mississippi, conservative Mississippi. <laughs> and I had to be two different people. While I was in school, there was a young man by the name of Oscar Grant who lost his life in Oakland, California. And being in two different worlds, I heard two different conversations about Oscar. Um, at home, he was one of us, but at school, maybe he deserved it. Why are people upset he was an ex-con? And in my anger and frustration, I decided to write. So I wrote the short story that later became The Hate You Give. I know that this is your debut book, mm -hmm. but had you done much writing before this book? You know, what was the kind of the, the lead yeah. up to that? Um, I wrote a lot before this book. I used to write soap opera fan fiction. <laughs> Which <laughs> was, soap opera? Um, there was a soap opera called Passions. It was on NBC, and it was the wildest soap opera to ever exist. I mean, there was a witch. One time, there was a portal to hell in a basement. I mean, this they went all the way out. And so I wanted to focus, though, on the more realistic side of the soap. So I would write fan fiction and have it online. And, like, the fans of the show were telling me they enjoyed my stuff more than the show. <laughs> so, um, but that's how I really got started with fan fiction. But um, I wrote middle grade, too. And so I wrote superheroes with middle grade, you know, and it's fun. And I hope to get back to that one day. But, um, yeah, I, I wrote quite a bit of stuff before finally deciding, you know, this story that scares me so much needs to be told. I remember passions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like the only person that remembers it. Um, I bring it up and people are like, what? Wait, is that the one with the witch? And I'm like, yes. Yes, yes, it was, it was. So. I feel like it was kind of a short run for it that was. one. It was, it was. a few years. Yeah, I think it came out in like 1999 and ended in 2007. Okay. So, you know, compared to soaps that have been out like 50 years, that was short. 
but it was so awesome to me. <laughs> is there a big community online of, of soap opera fan fiction? You know, there is. Soap opera fans give YA fans a run for their money. I will tell you that. Like, they have conventions and stuff, and they are as passionate about their relationship shipping as YA fans are about ships, you know. Like, seriously, these grown women are passionate about it. They make T-shirts. They make the fan art. They do just like YA readers. So I felt like I didn't make a big jump. <laughs> you know, dealing with YA and the readers and dealing with passions and other soap opera fanfics and stuff like that, a lot of the fandoms are a lot alike. <laughs> a lot of enthusiasm. Yes, yeah. a lot. I feel like the ladies who read who watch soap operas and do those shippings and stuff, they were once the YA readers. So that's kind of like the progression. <laughs> and nothing wrong with that. I'm one of those people. <laughs> um, was there a particular feeling that you were trying to capture with the book? Um, there was. Um, there were several feelings. Um, one, I wanted to show hope in some sort of way. Um, but I also wanted people to understand the frustration and the anger. You know, it's easy to look at riots and say, oh, they're just being stupid, you know. But you need to look at why people are angry enough to destroy their own community sometimes. So I wanted to show that. And I wanted to show also love through Star's family. You know, and I wanted to show a sense of community um, through the neighborhood. Because I know neighborhoods like that, they're often just looked at from the outside. But somebody like me who's grown up in a neighborhood like that, I know the good. I see it every single day. You know, my neighbors are like family. So I wanted to show that love and that support and that sense of community through the book and hopefully show that there's more to communities like that than what meets the eye. What new things did you have to learn to write the book? I had to learn a lot about gang culture. <laughs> um, when I was writing this book, I do not know much about gangs. You know, I was never in a gang. I had to watch documentaries. I had to read um, firsthand accounts and stuff like that. So I had to do research on that. I also had to research um, police procedures. I had to do a lot of legal research. I had to consult with lawyers. And then I even had to... In the young adult community, especially in children's books communities, we have this thing now called sensitivity readers. Um, and it's somebody who reads a book about a character who maybe has the same marginalization as them, and they let you know if you've gotten something wrong or this needs to be addressed. And even though Star is a black girl and I'm a black girl, I recognize that my experiences are not everybody else's experiences, and I could have biases. So I had black women read it just to make sure I was okay, you know. So I did a lot of research and stepped outside of myself on some stuff. Yeah. Um, who were your sensitivity readers? Were they friends or were they um, just other writers that you knew about? Um, I had some teenagers um, that I knew like through Twitter and stuff. I had a couple of black teen girls that I knew read it. And I had other black women like friends of mine and associates of mine read it. Um, I also had like a lawyer that I know in Jackson. She read it. Um, and I had family members in law enforcement read it. So I wanted to make sure I got things right because you're still, when you're dealing with realistic fiction, you want it to be real. <laughs> So did you work closely with anyone on the book? Um, 
two people, my agent and my editor. <laughs> I worked closer with them than anybody. Um, when I first submitted the book to my agent, um, it was in first person, past tense. And he was considering signing me. And he was like, would you consider changing this to first person, present tense? He was like, I feel like it'll make it more immediate. And I was like, huh, maybe I should sign with him. You know, <laughs> that was like the, one of the first great decisions he made. So it's been good ever since. And my editor, Donna Bray, is amazing. Um, she she told me, she was like, I'm not from this background, but I'm going to listen to you and we're going to get this right. You know what I mean? So she lets me get away with some stuff. <laughs> you know, I've had people ask, uh, did you get any pushback on this and this? And I'm like, no, she lets me do it. And I appreciate that because I feel like it made a more nuanced book, but she still gave me such insight and so much wisdom that the book would not be where it is without her, for sure. What kind of things do people think that you got pushed back on? Oh, I people ask me all the time um, about the language and the dialogue, the fact that I use African-American vernacular at times. Did I ever get pushed back on that? And it's like, no. I mean, I had to send her to Urban Dictionary sometimes. But... <laughs> And, you know, and she ended up on worldstar.com after it's mentioned in the book. And she's like, oh, my God, what have you done to me? I'm stuck on here watching videos, you know. <laughs> so she always, when she didn't know, she found out. And I appreciated that. Oh, that's cool. Um, how do you usually work? And, and how did you work on this book? Um, I worked on this book whenever I could. Um, at the time, I was working at a church of all places, despite the language in the book. <laughs> and so, like, on my lunch breaks and whenever I could find time, I would write. Um, I will even admit, like, sometimes during staff meetings, I had my laptop and between taking notes for the staff meeting, <laughs> I was writing my book. <laughs> they don't know that. They're going to know that now. <laughs> I bet they're okay with it. <laughs> yeah, um, but I would try to find time whenever. Now it's basically the same thing. I try to find time whenever I can. Um, I write on the plane, trains, automobiles, you know. Um, I, I have my iPad or my laptop or my phone. I'm going to find somewhere to write. So it's about finding the time for me and recognizing that I can't always stick to a set schedule. But if I can get the words out at some point, I'm pretty good. How did you find out that this was going to be a book? I mean, I know that there was... Um there's a lot of interest yeah. in the book. So could yeah. you kind of walk me through Sure, that? sure. Um, well, first of all, I the journey for this becoming a book began with Twitter, of all things. Um, I was afraid to send the book to literary agents because of the subject matter. And a literary agency by the name of the Bent Agency had a question and answer session on Twitter. And I just simply asked if the topic was appropriate for a young adult novel and an agent by the name of Brooks Sherman responded, and he was like, yeah, I'd like to read that. <laughs> so I sent it to him. I signed with him maybe two months later. That was in August I signed with him. And we did some edits together, and he went out on submission with it in November. And we had an offer from Donna Bray, who became my editor, like a day or so later. <laughs> And so then we also had 12 more offers. So it became a 13 house auction. And when 12 people, when 13 people want your book, that's when you start to realize, well, this will become a book because, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's always surreal. It's still surreal. Like I was here at ALA and I saw the display with my book and I'm like, oh, that's me. You know, <laughs> when I see my name on the front, it's still trying to it still hasn't really sunk in sometimes. So I don't think it really even sank in the day we had the auction. But 
I think I'm starting to realize I have a book. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. What was maybe a struggle that you experienced while you were writing? Um, there were several struggles while I was writing the book, mainly emotional struggles. Um, when you're talking about something like this that feels so personal, um, so often it's seen as political, but it's really, it really for so many of us feels personal, you know. Like, for instance, when the Philando Castile verdict just recently came out, that felt extremely personal. So when writing about this, it was taking something personal to hopefully help people understand, but it also meant going places mentally and emotionally that were hard. But I allowed myself to do it. Um, I allowed myself to feel the anger and the despair and the frustration. Like, for instance, I read the coroner's report for Trayvon Martin, which was extremely hard. But I allowed myself to feel the things I was feeling because it poured into the pages. So I always tell writers, you know, when, even when you're struggling emotionally and sometimes it feels like I'm putting too much of my heart in this. No, put as much of your heart into it as possible. Let yourself feel those things. So I tried to take those struggles and turn them into something productive. With this book, I think I was at my lowest creative-wise when I was trying to get the bravery to actually write it. You know, um... I was afraid. I was afraid to even write the book. Um, but I would say that was a low point. But after a while, I decided to write it for myself, you know. Um, and I think that was probably the best thing I could have done because, yeah, there were calls for diversity in publishing, but you always wonder, how diverse do you want it, you know? So I was like, is this too diverse? So when I started worrying about how it would be received, that's when I was at my lowest. But then I said, forget it. Let me just write this for me. And that was probably the best thing I could have done. Take every, everything else out of your head. Yes, yes, definitely. You have to. And I think that's what we have to do. Um, that's what I'm doing now even with my second book. I'm having to write it for me first and foremost. Because if I try to write it for all these people who are saying all these awesome things about the first book, I'll never get it done. <laughs> what, speaking of, how did you find out it was going to be a bestseller? Oh, I didn't know. We didn't know. Um, we found out the day the list came out. We knew there was a chance it would be on the list, but we weren't 100% sure because you can never tell. Um, but I found out um, my agent, he was not supposed to tell me. <laughs> um, he was not, but um, he couldn't contain himself, so he sent me a text one word at a time. He was like, the hate you give is number one, and we were just both flipping out. So it was, it was amazing. My mom was, like, at the store because I've noticed – when young adult authors hit the list, it seems to be a trend that parents are never around when they're supposed to be. You know, <laughs> if you go on Twitter, you'll see they're like, I'm trying to get my mom on the phone and I can't. I was trying to get my mom on the phone and I couldn't. And then I finally get her on the phone and she's driving and she almost had a wreck. <laughs> so, but no, it was, it was great. And to know that it's still on the list is incredible to me. Incredible. What does your family think of all this? Oh, my family... They're, like, amazed. Like, I have cousins who've told me, you know, I don't like reading, but I read yours, and I love it, you know? <laughs> I have a cousin in Memphis who has told probably half the city about this book. Um, but my mom is probably the loudest cheerleader by far. Um, I mean, we can be in the store, and my mom will say, 
she'll see someone with a white shirt on like a lady in line at the grocery store she's like your shirt is so nice that white that's nice the cover of my daughter's book is white like (laughs) and i'm like why are you doing this so she finds ways to tell people about it and i'm almost impressed but almost (laughs) i can't tell her that i need her to stop but i'm almost impressed so (laughs) that's creative yeah it is that's good good mom work right there yeah yeah i will give her credit i give her props you know i think she sold quite a few copies for me so i can't complain too much that's great um so this will be the last question what's what's your hope for the book My hope for The Hate You Give is that it helps people understand why we say Black Lives Matter. Um, Those three words mean so much for so many different people. Um, You say them to three people, you're going to get three different reactions. I hope it helps people understand more why we say it. But I also hope that the book instills that empathy is more powerful than sympathy. It's easy to say, I'm sorry this happened to Tamir Rice. It's another thing to look at Tamir Rice and see someone who could have been your little brother. And it makes a difference. So those are my two big hopes for the book. Thank you, Angie Thomas, for the interview. Thank you, Philip Stead, for our theme music. Additional music for this episode by Lee Rosevere from the Free Music Archive. Hey, we're looking for stories we can cover over multiple episodes for our third season next fall. If you have an idea, send us an email at theyarnpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit the show online at the School Library Journal website. I'm Travis Yonker. Thanks for listening.